listening to a message from Park Springs Bible Church, located in Arlington, Texas, where we discover life in the power of God's grace and share His life-changing grace with others. Join us as we hear from the Word. Good morning. My name is Jim Adams. I'm one of the elders here at Park Springs Bible Church, and as, as you can see, we're starting today a, a new series on forgiveness. And C.S. Lewis, in his classic book, Mere Christianity, said this, everybody thinks forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. That's very true, isn't it? We think forgiveness is a, a lovely idea until, and you, you can fill in the blank, forgiveness is a lovely idea until the friend I trusted gossiped about my marriage. Forgiveness is a lovely idea until I hear my father use the same put down with me at Thanksgiving dinner again. Forgiveness is a lovely biblical idea until I find out that the reason I didn't get the promotion I deserved at work was because my boss lied about my job performance to cover up her mistake. Forgiveness is a lovely idea until once again my spouse acted selfishly and sinfully and left me to pick up the pieces. Is anybody tracking with this or is it just me? Because no matter how many years you have of following the Lord Jesus Christ, forgiveness will always be hard and difficult. Haddon Robinson is one of the finest preachers of the last 50 years. He, he may be the, the goat, that's the greatest of all time, when it comes to teaching on, on preaching. And he's a godly man. And he tells a story about a time that he and his wife, Bonnie, tried to help a, a young woman who was going to the seminary where he taught. They wanted to help her. She was struggling. And so they invited her into their home. They cleaned her house. They shared meals with her. They did everything they could to serve her. But at some point, the relationship went south, and this woman sued them. And it was ugly. She accused them of many things that they hadn't done, and the, the lawsuit dragged on, and it was emotionally draining. And Haddon Robinson and his wife would go for walks. They would, they would pray for this, this woman, and Haddon Robinson, I wish I could tell you that all my motives were pure and noble, but there were days when I would have felt better if this woman had been run over by a truck. Yeah, forgiveness is a lovely biblical idea until I am devalued, until I am disdained, until I'm rejected, until I'm wrong, until I'm abused, until I'm used, until I'm sued. And every one of us here this morning have had wrongs committed against us. And every one of us here this morning have committed wrongs against others. We need forgiveness. Given and received. And so as we dive into this six-week series, you are, you are going to have, let me tell you, you're going to have lots of questions about forgiveness that we're going to call but whatabouts. The but whatabouts. Hang on to your but whatabouts. But the, the, the question is, but, but, but what about that person who doesn't want to ask for forgiveness because he thinks it was mostly my fault? Or what about her? She, she asked for forgiveness, but she never changes her conduct. 
What do I do with that? Or what about the person that abused me and now wants to use forgiveness as a weapon to silence me and cover up what he did? What about that? And we will try in this series to to get to these but whatabouts. But let me just say at the outset that there's no one passage, no one single biblical passage that will answer all these questions. So if at some point, hang on to the what, but whatabouts, but if at some point you want to talk to somebody, uh, Pastor Charlie, Pastor Jared, uh, in soul care, myself and others, we'd be more than happy to uh, sit down with you, listen to you, pray with you, because if we're talking about forgiveness, we're talking about grief and pain and sadness and anger. So this morning, um, we have a limited agenda. (laughs) We're going to talk about the foundation for forgiveness. We're going to set the foundation. Please uh, turn with me, if you would, to Matthew 18. Matthew 18, the first gospel. Matthew chapter 18. Jesus is going to give us a parable to set the foundation for forgiveness. Matthew 18, beginning in verse 21. Peter asked a question. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? I used to think Peter's question was kind of a throwaway question. Oh, there's Peter again making another mistake that I wouldn't have made. And then I realized I'm just like Peter. Peter wants transactional forgiveness here. Peter wants to check the forgiveness boxes and hear Jesus say, yes, Peter, very good. Those are the rules for forgiveness. As many of you know, in uh, Jesus' day, there was a rabbi rule of three. The rabbi said that you had to forgive a person three times, and after that, no more. In fact, one of the famous rabbis of Jesus' day, Joseph ben Huda said this, if a man commits an offense once, they forgive him. If he commits an offense twice, they forgive him. If he commits an offense a third time, they forgive him. The fourth time, they do not forgive. Four strikes and you're out. Almost like baseball, I love it. (laughs) So Peter decides that he's gonna impress Jesus And instead of the rabbi rule of three, he's going to use the Jewish number of perfection, seven. So he says, uh, how how many times should I forgive, Lord? As, As many as seven? Jesus, do you see what a merciful, forgiving person I am? But Peter's, even his new rule of seven, it's it's transactional forgiveness. It's based on how much forgiveness can I wring out of my heart, and and I'm like Peter, I just wanna check the boxes on transactional forgiveness. Yes, I I can forgive this, but not that, that's too evil. Yes, I guess I can forgive this person if he is really, I mean really, I mean really sorry and grovels a little bit. Yeah, okay, this this time, this time I, I will forgive it, but remember, four strikes and you're out. I want to be clear here that when I'm talking about the rules that we make up for transactional forgiveness, I'm not talking about the boundaries that God sets. 
God sets boundaries for your protection. And if anyone tries to take advantage of you, use you, manipulate you, and then use forgiveness as a weapon, oh, you have to forgive me for that. I know it was wrong, but you have to forgive me. Forgive me, the Bible says that. That's hypocrisy. We, you need to honor and set the boundaries. Those are God's boundaries to honor and protect you. When I'm talking about transactional forgiveness, I'm talking about the rules that, that I make up so I can decide who gets forgiven and how much and when. And Jesus dismantles our transactional forgiveness. He says in verse 22, Peter, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Some translations say, but 70 times seven. Jesus is saying, Peter, forgiveness is never transactional. It's transformational. Peter, it's not about the rules. It's about the change in, in your heart. It's not about checking boxes to see if we can complete, with our, complete our forgiveness rules. Peter, let me tell you about real forgiveness in the kingdom of heaven. Verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. Don't miss that. The kingdom of heaven, how do we do forgiveness in the kingdom of heaven? It may be compared to this king. So God's kingdom comes, comes breaking in into all of our messy and ugly and often complicated ways in which we try to do forgiveness. Forgiveness does not start with a set of rules. Forgiveness starts with a king who rules. And Jesus tells a parable about this king with three scenes. So here we go. Scene number one, the king settles accounts in his kingdom. The king is going to do justice. Justice with all his servants. And verse 24 says, when he began to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed 10,000 talents. This, this one was brought to him, and he's an embezzler. He's a cheat. He's a lowlife. He's a bottom dweller. He owes, he's the worst of the worst. He owes the king 10,000 talents. There's a lot of interpretations in the commentaries on Matthew about how much money this would have been in, in modern-day terms, but the conclusion is, you can't, it's so much money, you can't even figure it out. The talent was the highest unit of currency in the New Testament. 10,000 is the biggest number, written number there is in the Greek language. Jesus is basically saying, this guy owed more than the national debt. We're billions and billions of dollars. And so guess what? He can't pay. Verse 25, and since he could not pay, the master, his master, the king, ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment be made, at least some payment be made. So this sounds harsh to our ears, doesn't it? But everybody then knew this is the way it happens with kings in their courts in the Middle East. You take the money, you can't pay the king, there's gonna be justice. Jesus' hearers would have said, yeah, he has to be sold with his wife and his property. This is just, this is right. This man, this man has to pay. 
So what does the servant do? He says, wait, wait, I, I can pay. Verse 26, so the servant fell on his knees imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. Really? How much are you making a month? A payment plan to pay back billions of dollars? This guy is an embezzler, a crook. The king would have never lent him 10,000 10, talents. He took the money. He betrayed the king's trust. Now he has to pay, and he can't. His life is over. His life is ruined, and he deserves it. He deserves it all. Verse 27. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave the debt. All of it. 10,000 talents. The servant only asked for patience. The king gave him awesome mercy. Do you like this result? We love this result if we owe 10,000 talents. But this parable is about what we do when somebody owes us. Is this fair? This guy's a crook, and he just walks away. Before we answer that question, I want to want us to look at four applications about forgiveness. Number one, forgiveness always begins with accountability. This debt of 10,000 talents is named. This man is accountable. The debt is not minimized. The debt is not rationalized. The debt is not excused. Nobody says, hey, just forget it. This man is accountable. Application number two. Forgiveness is needed because we can't pay. I need forgiveness for my sinful choices and my sinful conduct because I cannot pay for the damage, for the fallout, for the deceit, for the harm, the hurt, the grief that's caused. And we know where this is going, don't we? You and I are this servant. And we stand before a holy and righteous king of whom we have sung this morning. And we owe more than 10,000 talents and we can't pay any of it. And yet what do we do so often? We say, have patience with me and I will pay you back. Right? Have patience with me and, 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 and I will do better. I will, I will not get so angry. I will stop looking at, at porn. I will not be so critical. I will, uh, I will go to my home group more often. I will be more generous in what I give here in the church. I will come to church every, I will be nicer to my wife. My, we want to pay. This, this transactional spirit is so embedded in our heart. If, if you don't think so, ask yourself this question. If you disobey God, you do something wrong in the morning, have you ever thought, I better get this fixed fast before I have a bad day with God? We are transactional. Number three, forgiveness means the one who forgives is the one who pays. The 10,000 talent debt didn't just go poof. When the king released this man, the king lost 10,000 talents. He suffered the loss. Forgiveness means since you don't have to pay, I pay. 
I suffer the loss. And this is what we see in Isaiah 53, 6. It says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned each one to his own way. And what? The Lord has laid on him, on Jesus, the iniquity of us all. My iniquity did not just go poof. Jesus bore my iniquity. The king, King Jesus, took on himself the debt I could never pay. And when Jesus uses this word forgiveness uh, in the Gospels, he uses a word that means to, to let it go. And I, I want us to be really clear about that. It means to let it go or let someone go, but it doesn't mean, oh, just let it go. It's not so important, just, just let it go. He's, he's not saying that. Let it go means is that I let it go to my heavenly Father in order that I can trust his justice. I'm not gonna make the wrongdoer pay. I let it go to my heavenly Father. I am trusting in him to do justice in this entire situation, in the wrongdoer and in me. Number four, forgiveness should transform the heart of the one who receives it. This servant has got his life back. No more sleepless nights, no more condemnation, no more worry. He's free, he's got new hope. I think we could rightly imagine this servant running back to his house and saying, honey, honey, you can't believe what happened. The king forgave my debt. Well, how much do we owe? No, 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 we don't owe anything. I mean, I tried to give him a payment plan, but he just forgave me. We've got our life back, honey. Don't you see? It's going to be good. It's going to be great. Oh, this king, oh, oh, the, the king, this amazing king, what a king. The forgiving mercy that we receive from the king of kings should be a heart transforming experience for us that makes us want to multiply mercy in the kingdom of the king. But do we? Do we really? Scene two. The servant settles accounts in his little kingdom. Verse 28. But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. That's about three months worth of minimum wage. And seizing him, he began to choke him, something the king never did, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you the same words that we saw earlier. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. The first servant's heart has not been transformed by the mercy and the forgiveness that he received from the king. So he goes into what David Pallison calls judicial mode. So listen to how Pallison describes this in his book, Good and Angry. He says, in judicial mode, you are the innocent victim and the offended plaintiff. You are the zealous investigator, and you are the sheriff serving the summons, and you are the DA pressing home the charges. You provide eyewitness testimony to the crime. You are the judge and the jury finding the accused guilty as charged. I love judicial mode. Uh, but, says Pallison, the trial is rigged. It's a kangaroo court. 
The accused is allowed no defense attorney, no character witness, no due process, no possibility of mercy for his guilt. Judicial mode is just a nice way of saying that I would rather have justice in my little kingdom than mercy in the kingdom of heaven. Does somebody owe you? Does somebody owe you 100 denarii? 500? 5,000? Does somebody owe you? We're very creative in the ways that we make people pay, aren't we? We stop speaking to someone or we speak frostily to someone. We shun, we avoid, we gossip, we slander, we love to tell about what that person did to me and how he or she hurt me. We gloat when something bad happens to them. In marriage, we are experts in making our mate pay, right? Yes, we withhold kindness, we withhold compassion, we withhold verbal intimacy, we withhold sexual intimacy, we withhold financials, we, 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 we know how to make him or her pay. Why are y'all staring at me like that? <laughs> <laughs> or we make people pay with our anger, it's a scary, threatening, out of control anger that says, I'm going to do justice and settle accounts in my kingdom. Tim Keller, commenting on this parable in his book on forgiveness, says, we who live only by the mercy of God every second of our lives fail to be kind, merciful, generous, gracious, and forgiving. This parable is an arrow pointed at our heart. Why is it so hard? Why, why is it so hard? We look at this and we think, obvious what the servant should have done. You know, I, I don't think it's about the hundred denarii. I think it's about wanting to be right. Wanting to, to be more righteous than this other person. I have sometimes found myself thinking that I deserve to be forgiven, but this person doesn't. One of the hardest things about forgiving others is that forgiveness, I believe, is divinely designed by God to show us the reality of our own sin. I'd like you to just hold out your hand like that for a second. This is the way that the merciful king treats the servant, with an open hand. It's a hand that sets him free. It's a, it's a hand that cancels the debt. It's a hand that gives him life-giving mercy. But this servant, when he goes out with his second servant, ser with the second servant, what does he do? Yeah. He makes a fist. He closes his hand. He chokes him. He says, pay what you owe me. And God says, that's not justice. And the king is going to do something about it. And that's scene number three. The king renders his verdict in the kingdom of heaven. Verse 31. When his fellow servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed by this injustice. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. God knows. He knows when we are making someone pay. Verse 32, then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I 
had mercy on you, you wicked servant. How interesting, when the servant owes the king 10,000 talents, he doesn't call him wicked. He calls him wicked because he refuses to identify with his fellow servant. He refuses to recognize that they have the very same need of mercy before the king. The servant is wicked because he uses the king's mercy to convert himself into king over his fellow servant instead of multiplying the mercy of the king in the kingdom of the king. Could I confess my own wickedness this morning? I know this parable pretty well. I've taught it a number of times. But about 10 months ago, God confronted me in my wickedness, and it had to do with a, a ministry in Latin America, some tensions that were down there. And I had my ideas about how this should be resolved. But there was an inside group, and they had their own ideas, and they didn't like my ideas. And I was rejected, I was uh, mocked, I was belittled, I was excluded, I was criticized behind my back. I lost a friendship with a man who, with whom I'd served in ministry for quite a few years. And it made me angry. And especially because some in the inside group were repeat offenders. And I prayed for these men and I, I tried not to make them pay. But one of the tests of a transformed heart is to be able to will the good of the other and actually pray for God's blessing on the wrongdoer. And I could not do that. No, Lord. Mm -mm. They're proud. They're arrogant. They need to get what's coming to them because they didn't listen to me. I didn't want to hear anything good about them. And I was blind. I could not see that to pray for God's blessing on their life would not diminish God's blessing on my life. And so Jenny and I had a short getaway in which I was reading a book about forgiveness. Don't, don't do that if you don't, yeah, if you don't want to hear from God. And as I read this book, God confronted me. He said, Jim, you know, do you feel angry about their pride and how they belittled you? Are you ever proud? Do you ever belittle people? Do you ever criticize people behind their back? You don't want to pray for their blessing? You don't see my blessing for you? You don't see the abundant grace and the mercy that I'm constantly pouring out to bless your life? Jim, would you let it go? You know, it's not fun to read this parable and find out that you're the wicked servant. So I did let it go. I'm, I'm learning to will their good, but I want to be honest with you this morning and say that sometimes it just seems like I have to let it go again. And, and, and God is teaching me how to receive his mercy in this very human and sinful heart of mine. Well, there is no scene four in this parable. What a relief, right? <laughs> but there is a challenge, and that's in verse 34. In verse 34, Jesus gives us the challenge. And in his anger, the master delivered him, the first servant, to the jailers until 
he should pay all his debt. So also, says Jesus, my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Jesus doesn't sugarcoat the challenge here. It's either forgive your brother from your heart or be in God's jail. Be in God's jail, making people pay and pay and pay and finding out that you're really the one who is paying. I don't think that Jesus is teaching us here in in verse 34 that if you refuse to forgive someone, God is going to send you to hell because that would only put us back in transactional forgiveness. Okay, Lord, I will forgive this person so you'll forgive me and I can go to heaven. I think Jesus is teaching something else. I think he's telling us that if, if you insist on making people pay, God will deal with your wickedness. And one of the primary ways that God deals with our wickedness is that he turns us over to a kind of life in which everybody has to pay for what he or she did wrong. Have you ever seen a a marriage like that? Or a family like that? Or a business like that? Or a ministry like that? Or even a church like that where everybody has to pay? Everybody has to pay. There are accusations, there is drama, there is anger, there are revenge plots. There's everything but forgiveness because everybody has to pay. It's torture. Everybody's in jail. So how do we obey Jesus and forgive from the heart, this person that wronged us? In the series on forgiveness, we will be talking about uh, justice and and reconciliation and pastor charlie will be helping us next week to look at this parable even again but this morning we're just starting with our heart with our heart and maybe the best place to start with our heart is by praying so i want to give you an acronym here pray p-r-a-y just a simple way to pray this week so p is for pray for pray jesus prayer father it's vertical Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus was letting it go with his heavenly Father as he paid the price for our sin on the cross. R is for renounce revenge. In Jesus' name, say, Lord Jesus, I renounce any way in which I'm making someone pay. A is for ask. Ask God to bring blessing into the life of the person who has hurt you. And you look at me and say, Jim, you're crazy. But Jesus said this, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who persecute you. God's willingness to bless you will never be diminished by your willingness to pray for those who have hurt you. And the why is for yearn, yearn. I hope in this series we will be yearning for a deeper, richer experience of God's mercy to us in Jesus Christ. And I want to close the message this morning by doing a little bit of yearning, looking at Colossians 2. So if you want to look it up in your Bible or it will be here on the screen, Colossians 2, starting at verse 13. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your 
flesh, God made alive. Together with him, with Christ, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. In the days of the New Testament, uh, if you owed, there was a record of your debt like this scroll. Well, maybe not exactly like this scroll because this scroll came from Amazon, but you know, you get the idea, okay? There was this, this, this scroll, there was a record of your debt, the debt that stood against you. So just think about that for a moment. Here's the, here's the scroll, here's the record, here's the decree that's against us, and it has on it all my trespasses, all my sins, even all my unforgiveness, and it's, and it's all there, and it's all true, and I can't pay. So what does God do? It says God canceled the record of debt that stood against us, with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Now verse 15. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and he put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him that is in Christ. The, the rulers and the authorities mentioned here are the, are the demonic powers of sin and guilt and shame, of condemnation and death and hell. And they are saying, this one has to pay. He, he has to pay. And Jesus comes, and he takes it, and he says, this is paid. This was nailed to my cross. And this says, paid, forgiven in full, canceled forever. And it says not only paid, it says paid, purchased, redeemed, this one is mine, mine to bless, mine to comfort, mine to strengthen, mine to shepherd, mine to love, mine forever in the kingdom of heaven. This one is mine, paid, purchased, redeemed. Does that do anything for your heart? I hope it does because as long as forgiveness is only transactional, it will always flounder. There's not a whole lot of forgiveness that I can wring out of my own heart. Transformational forgiveness comes with God's grace flowing into my heart, his grace in my heart, through the redeeming work of Jesus the King who canceled the decree that was against me. You know, as you listen to this message this morning, I, I, I would imagine that at some point God brought to your mind a face or a name or a moment. And, and maybe you're thinking right now, well, I, I guess I have to forgive that person because God has forgiven me. But there's, there's more. Jesus is making a bigger ask this morning. He's making a bigger ask. What Jesus is asking is, has your heart been transformed by the beauty of God's forgiving mercy in your life? Has your heart been transformed? Has your heart been enthralled by the beauty of God's forgiveness of you in Christ? Because if it has, pay it forward. Peter, we don't, we don't do forgiveness in the kingdom of heaven checking boxes. We pay forward the forgiveness that we have received in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Do you have an opportunity? Do I have an opportunity? Do we have opportunities as Park Springs Bible Church, as the body of Christ here, to pay it forward? To pay forward the, the amazing, the uh, astounding, abounding, sin-erasing, decree-destroying, heart-transforming grace of our mighty King Jesus who took away the decree that was against us and said, this one is mine. Paid, purchased, redeemed. Let our hearts worship this morning. Let's pray. Father, we confess, I confess, that sometimes it's so hard for me to just take these truths down into my heart but we want that. We want that. We want our hearts transformed. We want a fresh glimpse of everything that you've done for us, the majesty, the wonder, the beauty of your forgiving grace. You've taken away the decree that you might bless us forever. Oh God, do, do your work among us as we move into this series on forgiveness. Speak to each one of us according to our need. Show us, oh Lord, what we need to change and how we can begin to walk with you in a life of forgiveness, sending forth from our own heart the mercy we receive from